1: See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, Positively, FedEx.
2: It's Sunday, November 17th. I'm Margaret Brennan in the nation's capital, and this is Face the Nation. Today, exclusive interviews with two of the lead players in the impeachment inquiry. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Republican Jim Jordan, a top defender of President Trump. The president is spending a quiet weekend at the White House following a critical week of testimony in the House impeachment inquiry, and he's in fighting spirits.
0: The absolutely crazed lunatics, the Democrats, radical left, and their media partners standing right back there are pushing the deranged impeachment witch are- This you week, three longtime
2: diplomats testified about, about unprecedented truth, actions truth, by a president the of the United States. God. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch was recalled from her post to Ukraine without explanation in May when she read that President Trump had referred to her as bad news and said she was going to go through some things in his July phone call summary with Ukrainian president.
3: I was shocked, absolutely shocked, and, and devastated, frankly. It sounded like a threat.
0: Did you feel threatened?
2: I did. Then, as the ambassador testified, the president attacked her by tweet. Chairman Adam Schiff read it to her minutes later.
4: Everywhere Marie Ivanovich went turned bad.
2: I think the effect is to be intimidating.
4: I want to let you know, Ambassador, that some of us here take witness intimidation very seriously.
2: Diplomat Bill Taylor also revealed that a staffer had overheard a telephone conversation in a Ukraine restaurant between President Trump and his EU ambassador, Gordon Sondland.
0: A member of my staff could hear President Trump on the phone asking Ambassador Sondland about the investigations. Ambassador Sondland told President Trump the Ukrainians were ready to move forward.
5: I don't recall, no, not at all, not even a little bit.
2: Late Friday, the Taylor staffer, David Holmes, provided a firsthand account. He and two others heard the conversation because the president's voice was so loud, Sondland had to hold the phone away from his ear. Where does the investigation stand? We'll ask the speaker and two Intelligence Committee members, Congressman Jim Jordan and Mike Quigley. And we'll preview next week's testimony, where witnesses will include Ambassador Sondland. Plus, our CBS News battleground tracker shows big momentum for one candidate in the key states of Iowa and New Hampshire. All that plus analysis on the news of the week is just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We begin with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. We spoke with her just after the conclusion of public impeachment hearings Friday. Our conversation started with President Trump's real-time tweet about Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. Why do you think he was tweeting about her?
6: Well, he made a mistake, uh, and he knows her strength, and he was trying to undermine it. Of course presidents appoint ambassadors, but people don't insult people, especially when they're giving testimony before the Congress of the United States. I think even his most ardent supporters have to honestly admit this was the wrong thing for the president to do.
2: The White House said it was just his opinion. He wasn't trying to intimidate. What do you think?
6: The the president and perhaps some at the White House have to know that the words of the president weigh a ton. They are very significant, and uh, he should not frivolously throw out insults. But that's what he does. I think part of it is his own insecurity, as an imposter. I think he knows full well that he's in that office way over his head, and so he has to diminish everyone else.
2: Do you think that was witness intimidation in your book?
6: I haven't had a lot of time to pay attention to the president's tweets and the uh, uh, legal implications of them. I just think it was totally wrong and inappropriate and typical of the president.
2: When you tweeted today, you said Ambassador Ivanovich was viciously smeared by Trump allies, removed from her posts, and then threatened by
6: the president. What part of that and amounts to an impeachable offense no. or a crime? Well, there are many things that the president does that are completely out of the question that are not impeachable, and they're about the election. But when it comes to violating the Constitution of the United States, as he undermines our national security, jeopardizes the integrity of our elections, dishonors his own oath of office. That's a bad impeachment.
2: So the Constitution defines an impeachable offense as treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors. What do you think applies to this case?
6: We are unfolding the facts. That's what an inquiry is about. You use the term bribery. And, yeah, I was translating from the Latin. The, that was in the context of e pluribus unum, for many one. And so I said, for many one, quid pro quo, bribery. Yeah, that's what that is. Mm-hmm. So, But
2: do you expect that to be one of the articles? I have no idea.
6: There's not even a decision made to impeach the president. Mm-hmm. This is a finding a fact, unfolding of the truth, and then a decision will be made. And that is a decision that goes beyond me.
2: Well, well, you point out factually right. That vote has not taken place to proceed necessarily with impeachment. But do you think you'll go through all of this and not vote to impeach the president? That
6: remains with the facts of the president has information that demonstrates his innocence in all of this, which we haven't seen. His transcript of a phone call is tucked away in a high... Highly uh, sensitive compartmentalized intelligence server, so we, we we can't see that. If he has information uh, that is exculpatory, that means X taking away culpa blame, uh, then we look forward to seeing
2: it. You think Democrats have had a good week?
6: Well, I think the American people have had a good week. I think truth has had a good week. I think patriotism has had a good week. And I think the Constitution has got a good week. I don't think the president has had a good week. Well, Republicans argue here... You know what? If we could just talk about what we want to do. I really have a real discomfort level of responding to what Republicans say, uh, because they are... in, in denial about what has happened in the country. So, if you want to ask me about where we're going on this, I'm mm-hmm. happy to respond to that. Uh, but I, I, I find it a waste of my time and yours to just be talking about what Republicans say.
2: Well, I, I want to just let you respond, though, to the argument that's being made in messaging by Republicans here that no, the but I grounds want to for respond. the impeachment. Let, it stand.
6: let their argument stand because it's on such quicksand that I don't even want to have it given any more visibility by my dignifying any of their misrepresentations of what they say. And I say that out of great respect for you because I respect you as a great journalist and I'm honored to have this interview with you. But I say to everybody else, I'm not here to talk about what they say because they're not facing the reality of what is happening to our country. And this is about our democracy that is at risk with this president in the White House.
2: So Chairman Schiff has said he learned of the whistleblower complaint September 9th. The aid was released days later, the military aid that's
6: in question here.
2: Do you see a connection there?
6: Of course. The president wasn't going to release. The Republicans like to say, if you want to talk about them, oh, it doesn't matter, the aid was released. No, the whistle was blown the whistle was blown, and that was blown long before we heard about it. Uh, don't forget that in, bet- in between all of that came the inspector general, an inspector general appointed by President Trump. And the inspector general said uh, that this was of urgent concern mm-hmm. and so that is what intervened. Can you help walk
2: the American people through what happens next? We have another week of hearings. Yes. There'll be an intelligence report written up. Mm-hmm. And then what? Does the president get, as he says, to confront his accuser or get due what process? do
6: confront his accuser? Confront the whistleblower? Presumably. Well, I will means. make sure he does not intimidate the whistleblower. So uh, the president could... Come right before the committee and talk, speak all the truth that he wants. If he you wants don't to, expect him if to he do wants that. to take the oath of office, or he could do it in writing. He has every opportunity uh, to present his case. But it's really a sad thing. I mean, what the president did was so much worse than even what Richard Nixon did. But at some point, Richard Nixon cared about the country enough to recognize that this could not continue. The Intelligence Committee uh, is uh, leading this part of the inquiry. There are other depositions that are being taken by more committees. So some of the depositions will continue, and then what takes place in the intelligence uh, public uh, will continue for another week. I don't know how much longer. I guess it depends on how many more witnesses they have. That's up to the committee. I don't guide that. That's up to the committee.
2: you expect that to be wrapped up before the end of the I year? I have no
6: idea. Again, I don't have no any time for that. No. I mean, it, it is self-evident that we have open hearings for the next week. I don't know if there are any beyond that. Then we're out for Thanksgiving. Doesn't mean depositions couldn't be taken during that time. And then when we come back that by then may be a decision, or maybe they have more hearings. And then I have six committees who have been working on all of this, and those six chairmen have been very involved in what the, uh, how we will proceed. Does that mean that'll be
2: potentially included in an impeachment, that you might broaden this beyond the
6: issue related to Ukraine? Well, that, that's not up for me. That's what the facts will uh, determine. We're also proceeding in the courts. And this week we had another powerful decision uh, by a court. Now it is the president is appealing it to the Supreme Court that the president should release his financial documents. Uh, we've won all of the cases in the court on this. Roger Stone, what, seven counts was it that he was found guilty? Manafort is in prison. Michael Cohn, the president's, lawyer is in prison there's so much wrongdoing attached with all of this but we have to keep it very uh, precise in terms of the president of the united states and the constitution of the united states and that is what this is about and it's very serious and none of us came here to impeach a president this is very sad at the same time as i say We're trying to pass a trade bill, uh, pass our appropriations bills, Voting Rights Act, whether it's background checks, climate action now, uh, equal pay for equal work, raising the minimum wage all of the issues that we're working on for the good of the American people. So this isn't, a, while this is a concentration of our conversation here, it's not what we do in a day.
2: You met with the Treasury Secretary this week. and He said the White House has no intention of allowing another government shutdown. Agreed.
6: We are, we're all in agreement Are you confident you can that. avoid one? Well, let us hope. Left to their own devices, uh, the appropriators can avoid that.
2: Does that mean Democrats will provide funding for the border wall?
6: No. No, That's we have um, well over a trillion dollars worth of decisions to make. I don't know why we would go to that. Uh, the president hasn't built any new wall in the whole term of office. I think that his comments about the wall are uh, really an applause line at a rally, uh, but they're not anything that he's serious about.
2: When will the free trade deal, known as USMCA, be up for a vote?
6: When we have assurances that worker protections are provided. It's all about enforcement. You said imminent recently. Does yeah, that well, imminent, that, well, we're a long way from where we started. Uh, but I am not. I don't have a date when it'll come up because it cannot be any sooner uh, than the a trade representative agrees to the a proper enforcement so that our workers really do get a better deal than they have in NAFTA.
2: What is it like for you to go toe-to-toe with President Trump?
6: Sad. You know, as I say, none of us come here to impeach a president. And when a new president is elected, we wish that president success and hope that we can work together and find common ground. And I thought maybe we could on infrastructure, and I'm still hopeful. I thought we could on reducing the cost of prescription drugs, and I'm still hopeful. I had hoped that he would want it to be able to find some common ground. It's not a president who believes in governance. I've I've worked with President Bush before, and we did many things, passed the biggest energy bill in the history of the country, PEPFAR, Mm -hmm. HIV, AIDS, drugs, uh, issues that related to fairness in terms of the tax code for poor people. In our, we, we did many things do together. Th- do
2: you think it's different now, though, because you are so often the only woman in this room? Mm-hmm. I mean, that iconic photo of you right. uh, after a, that yes. recent clash at the White House with you
6: standing up. Well, I was largely the only woman in the room when President Bush was president as well. Uh, but President Bush believed in governance so you could find common ground. But if you don't believe that you know, in governance, then there's hardly any way to negotiate a solution. This is a very strange situation. 24th of September was when I called for a, a fuller expansion. The inquiry was going on, but to proceed with the inquiry, and that kind of changed our communication until that day in the room when I said, all roads, Mr. President, with you lead to Putin whether it's giving them a stronger foothold in the Middle East by what you did with Turkey and Syria, or what you did by withholding a grant uh, withholding aid to military assistance voted by Congress to Ukraine to the benefit of Putin. 11,000, more like 13,000 by now, Ukrainians have died at the hands of the Russians. They needed that military aid. And with his disparaging remarks about NATO and questioning our commitment to NATO, That's to Putin's advantage. So uh, we do have, shall we say, a candid relationship. Madam Speaker, thank you for your time. My pleasure.
2: Our full conversation with Speaker Pelosi will be on our website, facethenation.com, and an additional segment will be airing later today in our digital network, CBSN. When we come back, Republican Jim Jordan, he's leading the charge defending the president in the impeachment hearings. Stay with us. We're back now with Republican Congressman Jim Jordan. Good morning to you. It's good to have you here in person. Um, And and before we get going, the cut above your eye, you didn't get into a fistfight. This was just a run in.
7: I I got between Adam Schiff and a camera. How about that? Uh, (laughs) No, actually, uh, it's it's somewhat embarrassing. But uh, the door to the Intelligence Committee hearing room in the bunker in the basement where where we've been doing these depositions. It opens and it stays open on time and then it closes on its own. I stepped out to say something to my colleague, Mr. Meadows. Mm -hmm. It started to close and I didn't realize I turned and bumped into the door. So So just
2: so we we clear that up right out of the gate.
7: That's real important. As you
2: heard uh, from the speaker in that interview, she argues that the aid to Ukraine was only released because of the whistleblower. What reason were you given that the aid to Ukraine was eventually released?
7: Because President Zelensky met five times with senior U.S. officials. One, of course, was the phone call with President Trump and then four meetings, actually face-to-face meetings, with U.S. senators, ambassadors, uh, with Vice President Pence. And in each of those meetings, never was it talked about linking the security assistance dollars to any type of investigations. But what did happen in those meetings is they all became convinced Zelensky is the real deal. Remember, we're talking about Ukraine one of the three most corrupt countries on the planet. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about the hard-earned tax dollars of the American people. So they became convinced that this media star, this new guy to politics, whose party just won an overwhelming majority in their parliament, was the real deal, and he was legit, and he was worth the risk. So that and they September ninth we'll complaint,
2: the and then the September 11th release of the aid, you're saying that's just, uh, just the calendar just happened, to, happened well, that it, way.
7: Well, it did, and plus, remember, the aid didn't have to be released until September 30th. Right. So it gets released mm-hmm. on the 11th, and most importantly... Most importantly, the Ukrainians did nothing to, uh, as as far as investigations goes, to get the aid released. So there was never this quid pro quo that the Democrats all promised existed before President Trump released the phone call.
2: Well, uh, I want to get to some new testimony. Mm -hmm. Um, An American diplomat named David Holmes testified before behind closed doors uh, on Friday. Uh, And I want to know, do you think because he now has firsthand knowledge in which he explains he overheard a conversation between the president of the United States, and Gordon Sunlin isn't he credible this was firsthand
7: well I mean look uh, he overheard a conversation specifically
2: mentioned uh, we of don't the know if the other two people at the table are going to vouch for his
7: story uh, we'll see because there was four people at the table Um, Are they coming
2: to testify, those other two? That's Adam
7: Schiff. Adam Schiff controls the witness list. We gave our list. He doesn't give us the witnesses we want, and he can call witnesses any time he wants. We had to give our list last Saturday. Just one of the many problems and -hmm. and unfairness of this process. So I'm sure Mr. Holmes will get called by the Democrats. He'll come in, and we'll have him under oath in front of the committee, in front of the cameras, and we'll ask him questions, and we'll see how his story holds up.
2: Gordon Sunland, the ambassador to the EU, is an ally of the president. He was a financial donor to Mm -hmm. the president's campaign. But he's changed his testimony already. Do you think he's credible?
7: His, his addendum to his testimony, never forget, he said, I presume this happened. So, again, this is he'll be in front of us this week as well, as will Mr. Morrison, as will Mr. Venman as will Miss Williams. And we're going to have a host of witnesses. So, again, we'll see how his testimony plays out. What I also know is he said there was never any quid pro quo in the text message responding mm-hmm. to others on that text change. So um, we'll have him in front of us and we'll find out.
2: Uh, that text change, you're, you're right, but then in this conversation that David Holmes has testified about, he says he heard the president ask, so he's going to do the investigation. And Sondland replied, he's going to do it. Holmes then said he spoke to Sondland, who told him Trump was interested in the Biden investigation that Mr. Giuliani well, was pushing. It's interesting you're
7: talking in. about all these details from a deposition that hasn't been released that just happened Friday night that we're not supposed to even talk about. Is that This is, again, an example of the unfair process. He'll be. You under want oath. him
2: to testify under oath He'll be, in well, the public I, I, eye. I
7: assume Adam Holmes. Schiff's going to call him. And remember, this based on what... Mr. Taylor told us in the open hearing earlier this week as their first witness, he said that this happened with, with uh, uh, a conversation that he wasn't a part of Mr. Holmes, and he's listening in on a conversation between Ambassador Sondland and the President of the United States. So we'll have questions for him. And we'll see how it stands out. Do you
2: think Gordon Sondland was acting on his own? He says he talks to the President all the time.
7: He's a Senate-confirmed ambassador to the European Union. Mr. Volker is, is a, a, the special envoy, distinguished career, serving our country in the diplomatic corps. Right, but Sondland, We have, we have was Rick asking Perry, about. we have Secretary Perry, Senate-confirmed, working. This whole, this whole irregular channel I find interesting because they're all Senate-confirmed individuals, respected individuals, accomplished individuals, right. working on the diplomatic mission, and somehow that's, that's, that's crazy. I, I just don't follow. Here's the, here's but, the but bottom line. But do you line.
2: think that the project that Gordon Sunland? was working on here when he said the Biden investigation that Mr. Giuliani was pushing. Was that with the president? Here's what I understand.
7: We haven't heard from Kurt Volker yet the first witness the Democrats called, the special envoy, Ambassador Volcker, he said everything that was done here, there was no quid pro of any kind, and it was all done in a way that was consistent with the mission of making sure the aid ultimately gets to the uh, to Ukraine, and mm-hmm. that things are done in the best interest of the United States, done in the best interest of Ukraine. And that's all that all happened. And Ambassador Volker's testimony, I think, will be particularly good and particularly powerful when we get to hear from him later this week.
2: Specifically, Volcker said he didn't know there was a quid pro quo, right. that none was ever communicated to him. Not that. There was definitively no quid pro quo, just that he was not aware of it.
7: No one's testified that there's been a quid pro quo. Everyone's got second, third-hand, fourth-hand information. Mr. Morrison, who was on the call, said he didn't think anything was improper or illegal Mm -hmm. on the call. Ms. Williams didn't think anything improper or illegal on the call. She said
2: inappropriate.
7: So... But that's that. Those are the facts. Four facts will never change. Will ne- that's the funny thing about facts? They don't change. The fact that the that we have the transcript and there was no linkage of any type of security assistance dollars for an investigation right. on the call. We have the two guys on the call. Are President you- Trump and President Zelensky said no pressure, so no linkage. So just to be
2: clear, though, are the Ukrainians you Ukrainians okay-
7: didn't know that their aid was held at the time of the call, and most importantly. They didn't do anything, I, I any understand specific you're actions saying or investigation to released. get the aid released.
2: I understand you're saying the aid was released. But to, to put a fine point on it, are you comfortable with the investigation that was requested?
7: The investigation that, that was requested. Look, that the, the president, president was,
2: spoke to Gordon Sunland about I, this request to I have the Bidens investigate it. I thought
7: we were Are supposed you to be looking into potential impact on the 2016 election and, 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 uh, and foreign countries' involvement in 2016 election. So I'm comfortable with that. Well, this I think is everyone a 2020
2: is. election. Does that make you I, comfortable?
7: Well, I don't think that's what took place here because there was never an investigation undertaken. There was never an announcement from the, the president's But the request list. for
2: one that was overheard and testified to. But it
7: didn't happen. Like, there's, there's all kinds of talk about things, but it didn't happen. And remember, when this all broke, what the Democrats tell us, us? there was a quid pro quo. The scary thing is the Democrats have been out to get this president. Mm -hmm. I was struck by listening to Speaker Pelosi's comments. Her answer to your second question, Mm -hmm. she used the word imposter, talking about the president of the United States. Who 63 million people voted for, who won an electoral college right. landslide, and yet these Democrats have been trying to get him. The start of this Congress, Congresswoman Tulsi yep. said she wants to impeach him before any evidence. Five members, think about this. I understand. Five members of the of the Democrat, five Democrat members on the Intelligence mm-hmm. Committee, have voted to move forward with impeachment even before the whistleblower complaint was filed.
2: I've got to go to a commercial break. Thank you very much, Congressman. We'll be back in a moment.
4: Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy.
2: Welcome back to Face the Nation. We turn now to a Democratic member of the House Intelligence Committee, Indiana Congressman Mike Quigley. Good to have you here.
8: Is is it okay if I leave my jacket on? I'm just curious.
2: (laughs) Yes, it is fine. And my Um, friends from
8: Chicago will be upset. I am from Illinois.
2: I'm sorry. Um, The point that I want to get to today with the uh, testimony that happened behind closed doors with Mm -hmm. Holmes, do you think he's going to sit and answer public questions in front of the cameras?
8: It's always a decision I don't get to make. I I think it makes sense. Uh, I think there's something very compelling about what he had to say. The first is uh, he accentuated the fact that the president was saying he doesn't care about Ukraine. He said it in a rather coarse manner, but I think it's important. And all he was asking about was the investigations. I think that explains why this all happened, Mm -hmm. why the president was involved with this scheme.
2: This is testimony Holmes has delivered behind closed doors, but, right. but he we haven't released, heard publicly yet. And he implicates further Gordon Sunland, who is someone we will hear from this week, the EU ambassador. Is, is Sunland the only witness that Democrats have who can directly implicate the president here?
8: Other than Mr. Mulvaney and others who already have. None than,
2: of them are testifying. Other
8: than the president. Well, Mulvaney in a press conference had, had a, a striking admission so I think it's easy to forget what we already have in the public's domain. Mm-hmm. The fact that the uh, Mr. Mulvaney said, in channeling his uh, Jack, inner Jack Nicholson, was sort of almost your damn right. I did. Well, he Get walked that back
2: later. Yeah, it,
8: I think I think under the heat, you often tell are more likely to tell the truth.
2: Do you believe um, that Gordon Sunlin is a credible witness?
8: I believe that every witness should be given every every opportunity to tell the truth.
2: He's revised his statement, which is why I asked that.
8: Right. It's never too late to tell the truth, other than perhaps for Roger Stone. (laughs)
2: Um, Which we will get to later on in the show. But I want to stay on the House Intelligence Committee and issues that you are handling. Um, The president tweeted uh, over the weekend about three of the diplomats who testified, and he suggested that they should be dismissed. He also tweeted during the hearing about Ambassador Yovanovitch. Do you see this as adding up to witness intimidation?
8: When the hearing began and Ambassador Yovanovitch began to testify, I thought there's no way the the Republicans will go after this. If anything, they're going to try to diminish the notion that there was a smear campaign against her. And as she was testifying that she felt threatened by the president's remarks, which I understand, The president continues the smear campaign. Uh, I think when the president says he has a right to pull back ambassadors at any time they Mm -hmm. serve at his will. uh, He does. That's absolutely true. But uh, he doesn't. That can't be part of a corrupt scheme. And I think that's what we saw here. The fact is if the President disagrees with you or you don't cheer on the President of the United States, he comes after you and the rule of law is left behind.
2: But not necessarily witness intimidation. You're not going oh, there in terms of articles. No, in the it's
8: abso- it's part of a pattern of witness intimidation. What did he say about Mr. Cohen? That he was a rat. He was talking like a, a mobster. What did he say about Mr. Manafort? That he was a good guy because he wasn't cooperating. That's witness intimidation.
2: Uh, We now know from another White House official, Tim Morrison, who testified that there was a meeting between former National Security Advisor John Bolton and President Trump specifically about releasing the aid. Why not wait for John Bolton to testify? The courts can't get to it till December.
8: I flip it. Why not? Why isn't Mr. Bolton testifying? Why wasn't he a whistleblower? If but he, he thought that someone- Rudy Giuliani was a hand grenade, if he was so offended he right. ended a meeting, if he was so offended he called it a drug deal, these other folks, with lesser power, you could argue, came forward and risked a lot to tell the American but people But wouldn't the he truth.
2: make your argument that much stronger since he could deliver this to the president's door?
8: I don't think, at, with the amount of evidence we have right now, any single witness is going to be essential, that without them we wouldn't know what took place. I would love to hear from Mr. Bolton. I would love to hear from Mr. Mulvaney. For those Republicans seeming to imply that they want the Americans to know everything, well then why are they blocking their testimony? Have have seen how damaging through the testimony and through the transcripts that these witnesses have been. They want no part of it.
2: Have you heard enough at this point to vote for articles of impeachment?
8: I believe that the special counsel, Mr. Moeller, detailed obstruction at least 10 or 11 counts that were so severe that he would have indicted the president of the United States if it wasn't for the DOJ DOJ, uh, rulings that you can't. The fact of the matter is the president of the United States, at the very least, obstructed Mm -hmm. justice, and that's an article of
2: impeachment. And you're ready to vote for it. All right. Thank you very much, Congressman. We'll be right back with our CBS News Battleground Tracker poll.
3: This week,
2: the Democratic candidates vying to take on President Trump hold another debate. And our latest CBS News Battleground Tracker gives us a look at where they stand in the early contests. There are 18 states in our aggregate survey, starting with the Iowa caucus up through Super Tuesday. Former Vice President Joe Biden is back on top, now at 29 percent support, followed by Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren at 26 percent. Warren had led last month. Behind them, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders is at 18 percent. South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg has risen to 9 percent. And California Senator Kamala Harris is at 7 percent. The remainder of the field comes in with 2 percent of the vote or less. Joining us to talk about what's happening here is CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto. Anthony, always good to have you here. Thank you. So explain what you think is happening here with Elizabeth Warren. There have been some criticisms that perhaps she's too progressive, too liberal. Is that? impacting her.
9: Well, her opponents certainly have leveled those criticisms. It may be having some impact in this sense. We see 36 percent of Democrats, and in particular those not yet considering her, say that her plans would be too liberal to defeat Donald Trump. Only six percent, for example, say that about what they think of Joe Biden's plans. It's a reminder that throughout this campaign, the key criteria for Democrats has been trying to game out who they think can defeat Donald Trump. There's another break here in that. Democrats describe Elizabeth Warren as exciting in a way that they do not describe Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. But more of them also describe her as risky in a way that they do not describe Joe Biden. So to the extent that some of these supporters of either candidate have been moving back and forth, this month the ones that she's lost have gone to either Joe Biden or also to Pete Buttigieg.
2: And he, the mayor uh, of South Bend, has been getting a lot of attention for moving ahead in two key states.
9: Right. Um, big move in Iowa. We saw, saw that start to happen in the, at the end of the summer, but now he's really vaulted into what's essentially a tie for the lead there in Iowa. Also made a big move in New Hampshire. Now Warren still leads in New Hampshire, but he's up nine points there and is now into double digits. One of the things that struck me is that he's doing particularly well with people who say they're paying attention to the campaign, but not following it as closely on social media and on Twitter. Now, that could mean that all that groundwork that he's doing, the campaigning he's doing there, the events in Iowa, New Hampshire is starting to pay off.
2: So one of the things that you also found is that there's generally satisfaction with the field. So if that is the case, then why are you hearing from potential candidates that they may see an opening?
9: Yeah, it's almost eight in 10 Democrats who say that they are satisfied with their current crop of candidates. And that's higher than that number has been in some recent past elections. But you also see that, number one, they're not necessarily set in their choice themselves. And I think it's also a function partly of the rules, by which I mean this. We asked about Mike Bloomberg Mm -hmm. and whether or not voters would consider voting for him, and 20% said that they would. Now, that's not out of the picture, but it's not the same level that we see for consideration of some of these top-tier candidates. Having said that, remember, this is a delegate fight, and these early states don't have that many delegates. They're attention plays, they're media plays, especially for candidates who aren't that well-known nationally. But after those early states, the Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, there's 10 times as many delegates available on Super Tuesday. So conceivably, a candidate could go out there and pick up delegates in those states and pockets of those states. Normally, a candidate needs a lot of money to do that.
2: You're but describing that- <laughs> Mike Bloomberg, and his strategy uh, is to skip some of these early states that yeah. we've talked about, the New Hampshire's and the Iowa saying, I don't need it. Right. And, and I've it, got the money to run anyway. Right.
9: So if a candidate doesn't need for all of us to go cover their victory speech in an Iowa or New Hampshire and can go right to Super Tuesday, that would seem to be the strategy. Whether or not it works would be an historic test, but a candidate would need a lot of money to do it.
2: So in other words, to the question of is it too late, the answer is?
9: Well, the answer is the rules make it possible for a candidate with enough money who can pick up enough attention after the early states.
2: All right, Anthony Salvanto. Thank you very much. The full results are on our website at facethenation.com. We will be back in a moment with our political panel. It's time now for some political analysis. On my right, we are joined by Rachel Bade, who covers Congress for The Washington Post. CBS News political correspondent Ed O'Keefe is also here. Molly Ball is the national political correspondent at Time magazine. And Ramesh Panuru is a senior editor at The National Review and a columnist at Bloomberg Opinion. Uh, Let's start off on 2020. Uh, As you just heard Anthony Salvanto lay out in the Battleground Tracker, There's some concern among Democrats that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren may be too liberal. President Obama got to something uh, along these lines this week.
5: That's right. Friday night uh, here in Washington at a gathering of liberal donors didn't call out any specific candidate or idea, but did warn that the country isn't necessarily in the mood to rip up the entire system when it comes to health care and immigration. So that's kind of a veiled message to voters and to Democratic activists, maybe Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren are going a little too far. And I think that's not only reflected in what the former president said, it's reflected in the results of the elections the last few days here. Look at what happened in Louisiana last night. John Bell Edwards, moderate Democrat, uh, anti-abortion who has distanced himself from National Democrats, won in a squeaker just a few days after Andy Bashir won in Kentucky as a moderate as well. It's a reminder that if the party hopes to win back areas of the country that are trickier to prevail in they're probably going to have to find a more moderate candidate to do it, and the polling is starting to reflect an understanding of that.
2: And it's interesting, Rachel, because Speaker Pelosi told me something similar on Friday when I talked to her when I specifically asked about that signature health care issue. Listen in.
6: But I don't think that you can decide one day that in a matter of days nobody will have their private health insurance. I, I just don't see that as a path. And I do think that though people have their exuberance and their why and what excites them about running for office, and that has to be taken into consideration when we make judgments about their policies, because everybody knows that once you're elected, then you have to work together.
2: So there you hear... A master legislator basically saying what you're being promised on the campaign trail is going to be really hard to put through into law.
10: Yeah, I mean Pelosi and Obama uh, both sending up a red flare right now to these liberals in the 2020 race. I mean, this is a woman who comes from San Francisco. She's uh, as blue as you can be, but she's also she's you know taken back the house. Uh, she has seen her moderate members take Republican districts that Trump won in in 2016, and she knows that messages like Medicare for all and we're going to take your health insurance, that scares a lot of independent voters and a lot of Republican voters who are sick of Trump and want someone else to vote for but can't see themselves voting for someone like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders who are promoting a lot of free things that people are worried about their own taxes and what that's going to do to their bottom line. Ramesh, I mean, as
2: someone on the other side, do you think that there is anyone on the field or hinting who might be entering the field that could attract some Republican votes?
11: I think that the more conservative or moderate the Democrats choose a nominee, the more likelihood they're getting crossover voters, not just Republicans, but maybe people who have Voted Republican in the past some of the time, voted Democratic some of the time, but some stances like taking away private health insurance or um, moving away from enforcement of the immigration laws altogether, those things I think are going to make people not want to cross the aisle and write off some of those Democratic candidates. And I think what you're seeing on the Democratic polling right now is it's a fluid situation, Mm -hmm. partly because there are these doubts about the top candidates. Just a couple weeks ago, people were talking about, oh, this is really a Warren-Biden race or even Warren's the front runner. And I think Democratic voters are taking a look and saying, well, not so fast. We've got some time to make up our minds. And we have some concerns about who's the right person to do this job, including beating Trump in the first place.
2: And they may have more choices. As we learned this week, Deval Patrick, the former uh, governor of Massachusetts, did get in. Mike Bloomberg still flirting here. And then I want to play this soundbite here. Hillary Clinton said something kind of mysterious.
3: I, as I say, never, never, never say never. Um, And I, I will certainly tell you I'm under enormous pressure from many, many, many people to think about it. But as of this moment, sitting here in this studio talking to you, that is absolutely not in my plans.
2: Molly, who is pressuring Hillary Clinton to enter this race? Apparently some people are. Either that or what she
12: learned from running against Trump in 2016 is the art of trolling, and she's trolling (laughs) us all, which I think is quite possible because she knows how she makes people's heads explode sort of on both sides. I take her at her word that this is a remote possibility, if it even exists. But as you mentioned, with these other late entrants into the race, there is a sense in the Democratic establishment, not necessarily the Democratic electorate, but the Democratic establishment, they're nervous about the about finding someone to coalesce behind that they see as acceptable, that they see as electable. Uh, And again, I don't think you find this in the electorate. In polls, Mm -hmm. the vast majority of Democratic primary voters are happy with their choices. They have an embarrassment of riches. They've got 20 odd candidates. And what I hear when I'm out on the campaign trail talking to voters in places like Iowa is, gosh, there are so many great possibilities. How it's hard to choose. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's been hard for them to narrow down. They don't hate any of these people. They just like somebody better. But right. that has left the race very fluid and unsettled at a time when I would have expected it to be gelling and coming into focus. It seems to be doing the opposite.
2: When will Mike Bloomberg make a decision? We
5: are told this morning, Margaret, that he is days away from making a formal announcement of his decision. Uh, the An previous announcement
2: guy- of a decision.
5: Right. But we don't know what the decision is. We don't know what the okay. decision is. We know he's still considering it. But anybody who puts their name on the ballot now in Arkansas and Alabama, which had the earliest private filing deadlines, and will vote on Super Tuesday and has requested the paperwork from Tennessee, another Super Tuesday state, is certainly signaling that he would like to at least load test the theory and he has the money to do it that you can bypass those first four states and focus on the nearly what is it thirteen to fifteen hundred delegates that are up for grabs on super tuesday and potentially run the table in those states by running big ad campaigns and showing up and you Mm -hmm. saw when he went to arkansas this past week to file paperwork they were thrilled to see him because they hadn't seen any other candidate and so if (laughs) by virtue of just showing up he can do that and spend money Perhaps he's, he's able to wait out whoever prevails in the first four states. But to Molly's point, point, I think it's important to reiterate this, because I've seen it in our reporting, our, our colleagues who are on the ground in these states have seen it as well, and the mm-hmm. polling now backs this up. 78% of Democrats in these first 18 states tell us in the Battleground Tracker they are satisfied with their choices. Only 22% say they want more yeah. choices, and only one in five of these Democratic primary voters say they would even consider Bloomberg as a possible candidate.
2: Molly, what are you hearing in terms of how impeachment resonates On the campaign trail? Well, it's
12: very interesting that there hasn't been a lot of talk about it in the Democratic primary, in large part because the candidates are pretty much all agreed that, that, and the the most, I think, practically all of the top Democratic candidates were in favor of impeachment uh, before this inquiry was Mm -hmm. begun, and, and then Biden came on board, I think, last. Uh, But uh, the other thing that I've been watching actually more closely is how this works in general elections, right? Because as Ed mentioned, we've had a couple of gubernatorial races in red states lately where there was a lot of bluster from the president and his his people about how impeachment was going to put the Republican over the top because it was so going to galvanize Republican-based voters that even if they didn't feel like going out and voting, that would make them get off the couch. That doesn't seem to be the case, or at least it hasn't been enough for these Republicans who are counting on the president, who are counting on impeachment firing up their voters. The Democrats now, I think, have more confidence uh, about this not being politically dangerous for them because they haven't seen it affect their candidates in these deep red states. But, Ramesh,
2: you said with the sentencing and the, well, seven guilty charges, I think, against Roger Stone, a former Trump associate, this week, you just put that as an exclamation point on what was a bad week for the president. But for Republicans... They're kind of able to brush it off.
11: Well, the strategy is clearly to hold on to base Republican voters, not really to influence people who are in the middle, maybe is trying to decide what they think of the president. And they're moving from one argument to another, trying to come up with some stable ground from which to defend the president. And it's very tricky because the president Mm -hmm. keeps undermining the defenses. So, for example, um, Jim Jordan, who we had on earlier, has said said earlier this week, well, obviously what happened was the president wanted to give the new president of Ukraine some time, test him out, see if uh, he really was the real deal against corruption. Then the White House releases the first conversation between Trump and Zelensky where Trump says you can come visit the White House. He's not giving him time. It's what the real story here is. He is perfectly willing to have him over and then later he decides, oh wait, I can use leverage here to get an investigation of the Bidens. Mm -hmm. And the word
2: corruption was not used in that phone call or the subsequent one in July. Um, And that's
11: why they're flailing. They just have to keep coming up with new defenses.
2: Molly, you're writing a book on Speaker Pelosi. I am, out in April. What did you think of what she described there in terms of the tone she's setting for this huge political decision?
12: Well, you know, say what you will about Nancy Pelosi, she is extremely consistent. And she has been consistent since the beginning of this process, Uh, first in expressing reluctance, she very much wants the American people to know that the Democrats aren't doing this because they're out to get the president. In fact, they don't want to do it, but they've been forced. Uh, and that continues to be her line, and then also trying to keep the focus off of partisanship. The fact is, this is a partisan impeachment. It was mm-hmm. uh, th- When they had the vote, it was a almost purely party line vote. Only Democrats are for it. They can't do anything about that if the Republicans don't want to come along. Uh, but they, but she's trying as hard as she possibly can to cast this in nonpartisan terms, to say it's about the country, it's about the Constitution, and trying to elevate this uh, and also make it seem like a big deal. I mean, this has also been part of the president's defense. It's just... Is uh, Maybe not him, but people around him saying this just isn't that big a deal. Mm -hmm. It might have been bad, but it's not impeachable. There's 30 Trump scandals every week. Why is this any different? Mm -hmm. Uh, And she very much is trying to elevate the seriousness. And, and, you know, she's talking about bribery. She's talking about national security. And that's what she's trying to drill into people's minds.
2: Uh, Rachel, is that why, uh, when I asked the Speaker, she didn't want to respond to what the Republicans are saying about impeachment?
10: Yeah, no, I uh, it was interesting because she did something similar to a press conference this week, uh, particularly regarding the argument that Democrats have yet to have a witness who has, quote, first-hand knowledge, a witness who can say, I talked to Trump. Trump was the one who directed the entire scheme. And, um, you know, that is a potential vulnerability for Democrats. Um, you can't deny that these witnesses... Nobody is able to sort of speak to that. However, it's sort of risky for Republicans to take this line of attack Mm -hmm. because this week we're going to see Gordon Sondland is going to come in to testify. We don't know what he's going to say, but this is a guy who has told at least four other witnesses that Trump told him. That the right. whole was directing the whole scheme the entire time. One of them even verified it with the White House to make sure he was talking to the president and not just making this up. And another person right. actually heard a conversation between the president and this ambassador. So I think it's it's risky. Pelosi right. didn't want to respond to it now, but next week we could see the tables turn. It's going to be a very big
2: and busy week for all of us. We will be right back.
1: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you.
2: Recently, we talked about the importance of listening to the quiet voices of the public servants being pulled into the spotlight of this impeachment inquiry. We heard three of those voices speak clearly and candidly this week, not about politics or partisanship, but about their concerns with the Trump administration's handling of foreign policy. They warned that the security of our own democracy is at risk. One moment that stood out to us was the applause and standing ovation for Ambassador Yovanovich following her testimony, a sign of respect for a public servant at the end of a politically contentious hearing. Perhaps people are listening. That's it for us today. A big thank you to the Jones Day Law Firm for the facilities here on Capitol Hill. Today's guests were Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan, and Illinois Congressman Mike Quigley. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter and Instagram. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey.
12: Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.